Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Good morning, Bethlehem Covenant Church. Thanks so much for joining us on this August 6th. We are already here in the August and uh, glad that you're with us. Um, We have a celebrating of seven baptisms tonight at our baptism service. Looking forward to that over at the Perkins house. And then I wanted to let you know that next Sunday um, is going to kick off our fall schedule again. We're going to go back to two services, 8.30 and 10.30. And we invite you to come out when you can. And then we'll have, um, next Sunday, we'll have even a breakfast, free breakfast downstairs, biscuits and gravy and pancakes and that for people if they want to come on out, uh, either if you're coming to the early service, stay for breakfast or come early uh, for breakfast before coming to uh, the second service. But hope that you will join us. And then in the weeks to come, you can look for announcements on your church email or out here or when you come out uh, for sign-ups for small groups, Bible studies, kids' ministries, youth ministries, and volunteering opportunities uh, to serve in that. Uh, We would love to have you be a part of things as we go into the fall season. All right, today, if you have your Bibles with me, we're going to jump right in into Acts chapter 1. And uh, this is going to be our final uh, sermon from our Be Still series. Starting next week, I'm going to go into um, a series that's going to take us through the the book of Acts, and it's going to be on the people of God. And just kind of part two to what we did last year in the Gospel of John, I'm going to go and now taking it from the ascension of Jesus and what happens with these disciples? How do they go forth in the Holy Spirit? How do they spread the message? What is the purpose of the church? What is God doing with this new group of people that he's bringing together and then sending out into the world? I hope it will be an encouragement to you, that series. It'll start next Sunday. But today is our final sermon on the Be Still series, and I'm looking at Acts 1, 1 to 11. I'm going to read it for us here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. For after his suffering, he showed himself to those men and then gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, Jesus was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men, dressed in white, stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? 
For the same Jesus who has been taken from you will come back in the same way that you have seen him go. So this is the fifth and the final sermon in our series, Be Still. I picked, you know, five scriptures from the Bible that talk about trust and stillness and the peace of God, reminding us that he is in control even when we feel out of control. Um, in our busy, distracted, and sometimes chaotic lives, we can be still and know that He is God. Uh, the first week we looked at Psalm 46, which reminded us that God is our refuge and our strength and an ever-present help. The second week we looked at Exodus 14, where Israel appeared to be trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army chasing down after them, and they were afraid they were going to die. But Moses reminded them of God their Savior and how in this moment they just needed to be still, for the Lord was with them and was going to fight their battles and deliver them. And sure enough, God did. He opened up the sea before them. They walked through on dry ground. God made a way where there had been no way, and he still does that in our life all the time. The third week, we looked at Luke 10 and the story of Mary and Martha when Jesus came into their house and how Martha was distracted by many different things while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. And we learn in this story how in all of our stresses and to-do lists that we have to be careful not to miss the beautiful or the most important things. Last week, we looked at Jonah, a man who had been running away from God, and how when we are running away from God, not obeying God, not doing the things that we know that he's called us to do, we won't find stillness in those moments. We will find calamity. We will find our life in the middle of a great storm, and not just ours, but those who are in the boat with us also will feel that, for they are affected by our sin. And that storm won't go away and become calm until we finally surrender everything to God and do it His way. Well, this week I wanted to end our series by looking at the disciples. And our story takes place after Jesus died and rose again. And just to start, I tell you, nothing should give us a greater peace and stillness in our heart than knowing Christ and that he lives. And because he lives, we can face tomorrow, whatever tomorrow holds. For our sins have been fully forgiven. Our eternity is fully secure with Christ. And there's a great stillness in all of that. Well, before I get into all of that, I want to put us for a minute into the context of our scripture here in Acts chapter 1. For Jesus is appearing to his disciples again after the resurrection. And he speaks to them, it says, about the kingdom of God. And then he ascends. Jesus returns to the Father right before their eyes. He goes back to heaven. And the disciples are left on earth. They are left to now do the things that Jesus had trained them for, to spread the good news to all the world. And I've tried to imagine what it would have felt like for them in that moment, right? 
And I think that this is probably a high-stress moment for them, for their world has just been turned upside down. I mean, just a month earlier, they are following Jesus and they're simply students of the Messiah. And I'm sure they felt very privileged and that things couldn't get any better. Their only job to wake up and listen to Jesus. And crowds are everywhere they go and miracles and healings are happening. I mean, what a life they get to be a part of. They're riding into Jerusalem and people are welcoming them on the side of the road with palm branches. I mean, the future looked bright. And then kabam. Jesus is betrayed by one of his friends, Judas. And soldiers come in the night with swords and they all scatter and they take Jesus off to the Sanhedrin. And then he is nailed to a cross. And suddenly everything is just changed. And they are scared for their lives. They're hiding out, we read, in the upper room. And then three days later, Jesus rises from the dead and appears to them. And it's a celebration. And in their comfort in that. But then instead of Jesus assuming the throne in Jerusalem, which they maybe would have thought was the next step, here he goes to heaven and tells them it's now your turn. You're going to go be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And these guys had probably never been out of Galilee and Judea. And in just a month or two, you see, their life has taken this completely unexpected turn. And, and I just wonder, have you ever in your life, and my guess is probably so, that you have been cruising along at some point, and then boom, the unexpected. And now you're not exactly sure what the future is going to bring. And maybe the task before you is bigger than what you feel ready for. You know, I remember back to March of 2020. It was spring break and me and the family were headed to Florida to see Carrie's parents and have some much needed rest and vacation. And as soon as we got down there, there were all these news reports on every station of some kind of sickness from China that was going around, and it was becoming this really big deal. People were canceling church. I had people calling me, what are we going to do? You know, Walmart was running out of toilet paper. The president was on TV every day looking a little worried and telling us about a pandemic. And from my memory, it all seemed to happen pretty quick, where I felt, boom, you know, <laughs> And schools were figuring out what to do, and families were in work was changing, and stores were closing, and hospitals were on alert, and, and even our church, we, we had to figure things out all of a sudden. You know, we had never done services online before. We didn't know how to do that. We had never closed our doors. I remember those early meet months meeting with the church board and just trying to figure out how we were going to be a church in this new reality and when this was ever going to end. I mean, this pandemic, we didn't know how long it would go or what it meant. Boom. The only other time I can think of when in my lifetime it was shaken like this on a world stage uh, was 9-11. And after those two trade towers came down and then another plane hit the Pentagon, in that moment I remember thinking, you know, we didn't know if we were at war or what was going to happen next. I mean, cruising along and then something unexpected hits. 
and you don't know the future. And you may even feel at times like the task before you is bigger than what you feel ready for. I mean, I think of this on a personal level. Yeah, that's hit us recently at the church. Our friend Leo and Tracy and, you know, I've talked to them many different times over the last four years and dream and make plans about things and Leo is cruising along and then boom, finds out he's got inoperable stage four cancer. And that's been true of other people within this church as well. And it could be something that has happened to you or your spouse or kids or a job, you know, that you were in that you thought was secure and then suddenly you're out of work or a marriage that collapsed, or a change that you don't feel ready for. Boom. Cruising along, something unexpected, now you don't know what the future brings, and the task before you seems bigger than you feel ready. Well, this, I think, is where the disciples are at in our Scripture. And you know, we look back at these Bible stories, and we know the whole story. We know what happens next. But we have to remember, these disciples don't. They're living in the moment. They're taking it as it comes. You know, we celebrate Easter and it's a joyful time. But the disciples don't fully realize all that's going on yet. They appear confused by everything that is happening. You know, they think Jesus is the Messiah, but He is doing what they didn't think a Messiah was going to do. They mourn Jesus as He dies, then they celebrate Jesus after He rises, but now they're confused again. He isn't establishing a kingdom in Israel, He's leaving. He's going up to the sky, He's going back to the Father, and it's all happening so fast, and they're trying to process it, and emotions are all over the place, and they're taking it one day at a time. And so when you're living in the moment, it's a different experience than reading about it and all that happens next, looking back. I mean, this could be said of many other Bible stories. Imagine being in the moment with Noah. He's building an ark board by board for years with nothing but faith, everybody thinking he's crazy, not even a drop of rain has fallen, and yet he's preparing for a flood. And how would he even, during those long days, think about, now God, how are you going to use this boat? Are you really going to fill it with animals? How would they even get here? What is going to happen here in this moment? You know, I mean, imagine being Abraham and feeling that God has given you a promise, and you're clear about that. I mean, you heard from God. He's given you a promise of a family and a future, but year after year passes and nothing, even 20 plus years, and you still got no child, no sign of what uh, you heard was going to happen, and you're getting older, and you're still to believe that God is coming through. Imagine those Israelites living day by day in the wilderness, waking up and wondering, where are we going to get food today? You know, where are we even going? Imagine being the people of God, waiting for the Messiah for hundreds of years waiting, living first under oppression in Babylon and then Persia and then Greece, and now it's Rome. I mean, God, when are we ever going to be a free people again, they're thinking. We have the privilege of the Bible of knowing how the whole story goes, but they didn't. They're just living in the moment, taking it day by day. In some days, they got faith, and other days, I'm sure they were pretty discouraged like we can get. Some days are looking good, and some days they're just tired. I mean, this is what it means to be in the moment. 
The disciples are in the moment with Jesus here, cruising along. Uh, just a, a month before their, their world was completely different, and now it's been turned upside down, and they don't know what the future looks like, and the task before them feels pretty huge. They're supposed to go to the ends of the earth. But why I chose this scripture is because the stillness of God comes to us in these moments when we, by faith, live into the two truths that I think this scripture really teaches. The first is that we may not know the future, but we do know who holds the future. And then second, we may not know how something's going to happen, how it's going to happen, but we know who will make it happen. The risen Lord will. We must cling to these two truths, believing in them when our world is turned upside down. These are the moments we're called to have faith, not in what we can see, but in who He is and what He has promised. We can be still as we trust in God's time and God's way. Remembering He holds the future and that He is able to accomplish what we can't and what we feel overwhelmed and unprepared for. He is prepared for it. Because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone because I know He holds the future. As Paul says in Philippians 1.4, I always pray with joy. Think about even just that line. I always pray with joy. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel, for I am confident of this thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, he's writing these words in the moment. He's writing them while in prison, while he's in chains. Chains. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die tomorrow. He doesn't know if he's ever going to see these people in that church again. He doesn't know how God is going to do it, but he knows God's going to do it. <laughs> so he prays with joy because even if he doesn't know the future, he knows the one who holds it. And even if he doesn't how something's going to happen. He knows God is going to make it happen because he's God and he wants it to happen more than we even do. And so he's going to complete that which he began for our Lord is risen and faithful and all powerful in our shepherd and he's going to find the way. He already knows the way. And I think these truths are what this scripture is teaching us. We don't know the future, but we know who holds it. We don't know how it's going to happen, but we know who's going to make it happen. So we learn to trust and wait on God's time and God's way because it's better. Now look at the story. The disciples are with Jesus, and it says he appears to them over the period of 40 days. He speaks about the kingdom of God, and then two things happen. First, Jesus tells them, I want you to wait right where you're at. Jesus says in verse 4, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus is telling his disciples, I want you to be still. I want you not to leave. Not rush out and try on your own strength to do what I'm commanded, but I want you to wait for God's time and God's way. Because it's always God's power 
that will accomplish God's purposes, never ours. It is always His way, His will, that will happen on earth as it is in heaven, not ours. And so it's interesting to me that the Lord had them wait, and He had them wait in Jerusalem, the very place that He had been arrested and crucified just weeks early. And I can only imagine that they're wanting to get out of that place. It is an uncomfortable place. They have to be nervous that they're going to be next. They're going to probably want to run, you know, away. They want to leave. But there is a reason that God is wanting them to be still and to stay and to wait. And we learn why in the very next chapter. In the next chapter, in Acts 2, we read that the Holy Spirit comes upon them in the upper room. They are all filled with the Holy Spirit as they're all together praying. Suddenly, it says, they're able to speak in other languages. So they're waiting, and again, in the moment. <laughs> they don't know when, they don't know why, but they're waiting, they're praying, they're being still. And God then sends the Holy Spirit that gives them an ability to speak the languages of the world that he is going to be sending them out into. Miraculously, they are empowered now to accomplish his mission. They had to wait for that. But it even gets better. Because not only are they suddenly able to speak all these languages, but we read in Acts 2 that just outside their door in Jerusalem, all these people start arriving because it's the Feast of Tabernacles and they're heading into the city and over to the temple and they're walking right by the disciples when the Holy Spirit comes upon them in Acts 2 and all these people from around the world, it says, could hear the gospel in their own language. God brought the people to them. Again, we may not know the future, but we know who holds it. We don't know how we're supposed to do something, but it's okay because he knows how and he's going to do it more than we could even think or imagine. We just got to be still and wait on God's time and God's way. For the Lord was going to fill these disciples with the Holy Spirit at just the time so that as the people coming into the city would be literally right outside their door. God was bringing them the people. His way was better. And with the Holy Spirit, they were going to be ready to speak God's word with his power. And the crowds who heard it would then go back to the ends of the earth, to wherever they had come from, with the gospel now in their heart. The disciples didn't come up with his plan. God did. In the moment, they might have thought, get me out of this city. Or in the zealousness of their heart, they might have said, well, what are we waiting for? Let's just get out there and start teaching. But Jesus said, I want you to be still. <laughs> Wait for my time, my way. This has always been a challenge for me, waiting. I have always been an anxious person and an impatient person. I see something and I want it right now. I see something that needs to get done and I think it needs to be get done today. Our previous youth pastor, RJ, would always joke with me about this because whenever I had an idea, it happened to, you know, had to be accomplished right away. It could be five in the morning and I would be texting him with this idea and notice what needs to get done and 
call him in verse 1, I would expect him to, one, be up and ready to just drop everything he had for the day and meet me at church, even if it was just that we had to move the coffee pot, you know, that super important job that had to be done today, or we wanted this new program, or I thought of this new idea, this person, or whatever, and and it, the thing is, I could see something that needed to be done or that God may want it to be done. And I would get all excited. I want to jump and do it right away immediately, right now. But this impatience has gotten me into trouble many times. For I'm learning that God may put things on my heart, but then ask us to wait for them. Just like he did for Abraham. He told Abraham, you're going to have a family and you're going to be my people Israel and, and those people are going to bless the whole world. But Abraham had a hard time waiting for God's time and God's way. And so in his impatience and fear, he tried to make something happen in his time and his way and it turned out disastrous. Just like it can be for us. We are a now culture, an immediate satisfaction people, but God's an eternal God. He's operating on a long-term plan. He operates over lifetimes and decades. We want something to happen tomorrow. And I've learned this problem can, can even trickle down to how we parent. You know, I can worry for my children and see things and feel I got to talk to them right now and we got to deal with this tonight or fix this tomorrow or everything's going to fall apart. And it was funny, in, in Israel, Matthew was with me there, and, and I can't even remember what it was exactly that he wanted to do. Um, but I was like, buddy, you don't want to do that. <laughs> and and there was just no convincing him. I mean, he was going to do it. And, and so sitting next to me was this sweet older teacher from Iowa from our group. And, and she was observing this whole father-son moment. And she leaned over to me and smiled and whispered. She said, Dad, this is one of those he's going to have to learn himself. <laughs> and sometimes we forget, you know, that how long it takes the Lord you know, to really transform us as people. How long it's taken the Lord to grow us and change us, and He's still doing it. How patient God is with us. How faithful to do the work in our hearts and in our lives over many years, many failures, many struggles, trials, and people. We want to see the results in our time. God wants us to trust the results in His time. I'm looking for instant results God is slow cooking this thing, you know. He's letting stuff simmer to bring out the best. He's not looking for quick, shallow growth, but deep transformation. And so I might have the vision right, but the timing off. And in my impatience, I can do it my way when God is saying, hey, be still for a minute. You know, wait for my time and my way. It's going to be so much better. I love the story of David and King Saul. David was anointed by God to be king of Israel when he was just a boy. But David didn't rush into that role. He didn't go and force himself in and kick Saul out of the throne. He waited on God. Even when Saul was a bad king, doing bad things and making David's life miserable, David still waited on the Lord, even far beyond what I think I could have waited. There's this story of David hiding out in the wilderness in a cave, and Saul is trying to kill him again, and David has done nothing wrong and even has God's blessing. Well, God or Saul goes into the same cave where David is hiding, but doesn't realize it, and David has this chance to kill Saul. 
and take up his rightful place as king, and all of his friends want him to do it. But David doesn't take the bait. He doesn't go before God. He says, this isn't God's way or God's time. It's not my place to kill him. And we see as we read on in that story, a short time later, God makes it happen his way, his time. Got to wait for it. In my life, what helps me with this is prayer. It really does, if I'll be disciplined to do it. Prayer slows me down to God's time. Those moments I want to rush in and talk to somebody about something or I see an opportunity and just want to jump in. Prayer slows me down to God's time. It makes me stop and first give this to the Lord. Lord, do you want me to say something or not? And when is the best time? And Lord, this really looks good to me, but I might be being led by my fears or wants right now and not your voice. So help me first know if this really is your will. Help me see what I'm not really seeing. Prayer causes me to slow down for God's time and let Him lead my heart and my life. In Isaiah 55, the Lord says, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Prayer causes me to slow and ask those important questions. Is this really your way, God? You know, I've so many times, I mean, honestly, so many times, I've wanted to do something and then instead I prayed about it and I'm glad I did because the very next morning, God took care of it and my way would have been wrong, you know. Um, but this is what we see in Scripture. Jesus tells his disciples to wait for his time in his way, saying, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And, and just notice the language there. I've just, first time I've noticed it this time when I was studying it this week. It says, you will be. And I noticed something about that in the Greek. You will be is not a command. It is a promise. Jesus is not commanding them to go in their power and do these things. He's saying, if you just wait, the Holy Spirit will come upon me, upon you, and you will be my witnesses. You will be. In other words, he's saying, God's going to see to it. He's going to do it. The Lord himself will bring about the vision. Every good thing that has happened in my life has been because of God, not because of me, but often in spite of me. Many times I've gotten in the way of something, but God in His grace still sees the vision through, you know? One funny example of this is how I won my wife. <laughs> I am not a ladies' man. I thought I was. I thought I was so cool when we were dating, but she, Carrie, assures me I was not. In fact, uh, when I did try to play it cool, because I thought that this was, you know, going to be the way that I convinced her, you know, that I was the guy for her. Uh, when I did play it cool, it caused her to think I didn't like her at all, and she almost walked away. Um, but despite me and all of my mistakes, the Lord really saved me. He was not going to let Carrie walk away despite my poor dating performance because God's vision for my life was alongside of her. And I can see that now. I can see it very clearly and I am comforted in this because in so many areas, when I am weak, He is strong. Where I fail, He does not fail. Where I begin to walk a wrong path, somehow He redirects me and makes sure that in the end, I am where I am supposed to be. When I am unfaithful, He remains faithful, always. 
all I have is because of him. So we can be sometimes falsely arrogant, thinking that we made this company or this church or we are where we are because of us and our great choices and, and everything. We brought this success about. We pulled ourselves up. No, everything we have in life is because of his grace and his doing, his vision for our life. And we see that in our scripture. God did not leave the salvation of the world into the hands of Peter, James, and John. Are you kidding? God never put the hope of the world and the future into the hands of men. No, God created the world and it is God who saves it. He invites us to partner with him to be a part of the good thing that he wants to do, but he doesn't leave it up to us. He says the Holy Spirit will do it. You will be my witnesses. It's a promise. But then the last thing I wanted to say about this scripture is that the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, are you going to, at this time, restore your kingdom to Israel? And they specifically say Israel, which shows that they still don't understand what the Messiah had come to do, and that Jesus was doing something bigger in the world, not just in their nation. But anyway, Jesus answers them in verse 7, and he says, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Think about those words. It's not for you to know. We always think in our culture that we got the right to know. But God said, no, no, <laughs> it is not for you to know the times the Father has set by his own authority. Which reminds us there is a God and he is still in control and over this world. Whether people believe in him or not, he is. And the future isn't left up to you or me or the climate or who is president or what we do. The future is in his hands. The Father has set the times or dates by his own authority. In other words, this is my Father's world lest we forget. God is in control. We may not know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future, and that is enough for us. It should be enough for us. We can't screw up God's eternal plan. He's ordained our days. The future has been set. The timing is not up to us, and so we don't need to think about that. We don't need to concern ourselves with it. We don't need to be distracted by it, when it's going to be and all that. It will be when He has chosen it to be. Whatever time the Father has set, that is when Christ will return what He has set. God will fulfill His eternal purpose as He has chosen. He has not left this world to chance or to us. He has set that time by His own authority. And no power on earth can change it, nor can we mess it up or speed it up. It's not up to us. Nothing can stop what God has already set by His own authority. Think about that. That should bring you and me some stillness today and free us to just live in the present, living day by day with joy and in His promises and trusting in Him for what He deems best for me in this world. And so if you have ever been just cruising along and then boom, the unexpected, and now you don't know what the future brings, and maybe the task before you is bigger than you feel ready for, don't worry because our God is not worried. You may not know the future, but you know who holds it, and He's your Father, and He loves you. And you may not know exactly how you're going to do what's before you, but that's okay, because you know the one who's going to do it. 
He's the one who died and rose again. He is the risen Lord. The one who began it is going to be the one who completes it as well. And he is the same one who lives within you by his spirit. He's going to do it. You don't have to worry or fear. Instead, you can be still and trust in his time and his ways. Have a wonderful Sunday. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to BCC 